0: This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it, out. ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. It will give them courage new, it will help them to be true. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to another afternoon of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, I'm the uh, a pulpit minister of the North Valley Church of Christ uh, up here in Cave Creek, Arizona. We're right off of Dynamite Road next to Tatum or in between Tatum and Scottsdale. And if you ever find yourself up this way, will want you to stop by and say hi. I- I'd appreciate that. If you'd like to know more about uh, me or the congregation here at North Valley, you can always go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. And you can learn about us there as well as about this radio program by clicking on that radio mic. You can listen to today's program or any of our previous programs. Uh, Last week, or actually uh, I just got back yesterday, I I was up in Durango, Colorado, where I was attending uh, what's called the Workshop in the Word. Uh, I I love it up there. It's a, a gathering of preachers from all over the country. We get together and we study a book out of the Bible Last year we did Acts chapters 1 through 12. It lasts from Thursday evening from about 5.30 to about 9 o'clock at night. All day Friday and then we we, we leave on Saturday morning. I always go up early. I like to help out. Brother Guy Orbison uh, speaks there. He is uh, the minister at the Durango Congregation, and he writes Working in the Word and puts together these workshop books. Also, the second speaker is Denny Petrillo. He is the director of the Bear Valley uh, School of Biblical Studies up in Denver, Colorado. And they have been doing this. This was their 20th year of uh, putting this workshop together, and I greatly appreciate it. Uh, Guy Orbison was uh, Jr. was sick but he was still able to attend and speak some. But uh, it was a great workshop, and we, we always get this notebook, and we I really appreciate those men and their their hard work. And uh, so, for today's radio program, I thought uh, it would be good uh, for me to uh, tell you of some some things that I learned while I was up there. Uh, of course, you know we we read through the book of Acts. It's really kind of obvious, I think, in, in my mind, At least, you know, we always, sometimes we think that, but we need to always have our minds open to the idea or to the possibility that we could be wrong in some situations. Not that these things that we're wrong in uh, could be uh, uh, an issue of salvation, although for some of us it is, I mean, it's doctrine and uh, opinion, we need to make sure we understand the difference. Uh, doctrine being those things that are of uh, eternal weight, that is, whether or not we make it to heaven or not, or get into heaven. Um, this particular passage where I think maybe I was necess- I was wrong in its theme isn't eternal weight, but it does, having, uh, I think, the right perspective upon the passages of what Luke is writing in Acts, helps us understand the whole scope of things. And uh, So, I want us to look at Acts chapter 15 today. Uh, Many of you out there may know what this chapter is about. It's the chapter concerning... uh, or usually it's called the Jerusalem Conference. It's where Paul and Barnabas come down, and they, they get together with the apostles and elders of the church there in Jerusalem, and they discuss this idea of the Gentiles coming into the body of Christ without circumcision and without maintaining uh, the law of Moses as some of those who believe, who are Pharisees, and you'll see in the chapter, uh, chapter 15, Acts where some of the, those who believed who are Pharisees, they, they, they proclaim, hey, these guys, they need to be circumcised. They need to they'd be uh, walking according to the law of Moses. They have brought some of this stuff over. So I want us to, to look at a few of those things. And I, I know we only have like 27 minutes, but there's a lot of things I want to get to. And I want to read the whole chapter, but I don't know if I have time. But I want to start by reading the first five verses. And then I want to, want to kind of give you an, an introduction to that. So, in Acts chapter 15, I want to start in verse 1 and read down to verse 5. So, if you're listening, here's God's word. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning the issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, who had believed, stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Well, let's keep reading verses 6 through 11. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, "Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of God, or the word of the gospel, and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith." Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating uh, what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Man, interesting stuff here. So we we see uh, a division happening. And I think uh, we we all know that this division is very obvious throughout the book of Acts. It's also obvious in many of the letters Paul writes of um, those who believe that were of the Jewish persuasion or uh, who had been raised and born Jews. um, They believe that you need to maintain certain aspects of the law. Uh, be circumcised, and then you have the Gentiles who who did not need to do that. Paul preached that, and uh, so we see this division happening uh, in the church. And uh, I think we can learn—at uh, least this is what I learned when I was up in the workshop, and I agree with it—that uh, there uh, the, about unity in this. The Jerusalem Conference here in uh, Acts 15 presented uh, the solution to what might have developed into the first division within the church. Without the, the cool heads and the open minds of the apostles and elders who gathered on that can, uh, occasion, there might have been a split between the Jews and the Gentiles' congregations, a, a division if a division had occurred. It probably would have resulted in, the, in Jerusalem forming the center of the Jewish churches and perhaps Antioch up there in the north where Paul and Barnabas started as the Gentile center. But I think the apostles never considered division to be acceptable. They operated from the perspective that unity must be maintained. Maintained. Now, unity uh, was an imperative in their discussions and in their debates and in their decisions. But there is never a hint in the 15 or throughout Acts or even the whole New Testament. There's never a hint some compromise must be brokered in order to achieve unity. No doctrine was given up in the process of seeking an answer to the changes being advocated by the Judaizers. This, I think, suggests that unity at any cost was unacceptable. Couldn't do it. A modern reader, that is today's reader, us out here today, we, we might investigate Luke's report of the proceedings and discover that the early leaders believed unity was to be maintained by loyalty to Truth. That's how you maintain unity. That's how you have unity, in fact. We all agree on the truth. These men had witnessed the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, seen the power of God by the miraculous occurrences among them, and had received divine revelation to know with certainty that they were in possession of the truth. So, with those assurances that they were endowed with truth and knew the will of God, would never allow them to give an inch toward doctrinal compromises. Unity was crucial, but not not at the price of doctrinal concessions. So the modern church today, for us, I think we could learn the high priority placed upon unity through doctrinal agreement from the discussions here at Jerusalem in the Jerusalem Conference Acts 15. If consistency of teaching was unimportant, as uh, some claim, and if factions promoting differing uh, tenants were acceptable, then there was no need, really, for the Jerusalem conference in Acts 15. If it is appropriate for Christianity to divide into separate groups, each holding to different doctrines, then, in fact, uh, this meeting was not something that would have pleased God in Acts 15. But we, we may see with clarity that God's will was for the church to remain unified by means of all congregations, speaking and teaching the same things. In today's world, uh, denominationalism is the result of self-proclaimed disciples exhibiting the same attitude and efforts as the early Judaizers. Through the uh, intervening centuries, uh, from the first until now, humanity has possessed only uh, the apostolic teachings, but we don't have the apostles themselves. And so this has led to a, a wholesale twisting of what the apostles revealed and taught without them being present here to defend themselves. It's just the word, so you don't have Paul being able to write a letter saying, No, you're twisting my word. That's not what I said. What she had to do on other occasions, and we, we can see that in Second Corinthians and in other letters. So since there has been little agreement among Christians today as to the interpretation of this divine standard found in the written record of the New Testament, unity, and this is uh, I believe this, unity in this modern world has become impossible. I mean, how can you have it if no one's going to agree, if we're all divided on what the New Testament says? Although certain unions, not unity, but unions, certain unions have formed in various numerical movements, these do not re- represent the true unity of the New Testament Christianity. Even within, uh, uh, within the body of Christ, those who uh, have the truth, we would uh, do well, I think, to revisit the proceedings of the Jerusalem Conference to be guided by the same desire for unity. Uh, the Jerusalem approach should also help us to see the great need to maintain agreement in doctrine. Now, If among us, teaching is to be changed, then we should investigate as to the basis for such change. Uh, In today's church, uh, we should never give in to the demands of any new Judaizing movement to bring about change. Change in methodology can always be acceptable, but change in doctrine must not. If some among us wish to advocate a doctrinal change, then they are required. They are required to reveal to all the God-given authority for such a change. Period. So just as unity based on truth was an imperative among the early Christians, it should be that way, That uh, same priority among us today, among Christians today. Jesus prayed for unity, John 17. The apostles exercised their authority to maintain it, Acts 15, 1 Corinthians 1 10. Every generation I think should work hard to keep it intact. This is because division always involves sin. Division always involves sin. If separation is due to a difference of opinion, some involved will have violated instructions given in Romans 14. If division occurs due to doctrinal changes, then those advocating new doctrinal changes have erred. Paul's insistence that there is only one body, Ephesians 4.4, and that there uh, be no divisions among you, 1 Corinthians 1.10, should be emphasized upon any occasion of disagreement among us. Now, with that said, some uh, may say, well, we need need to have uh, another council or Jerusalem conference or a council like that one they had in Jerusalem, Acts 15. Well, there's a problem with that. Uh, like I said, they're apostles. They have this revelation, that Holy Spirit that Jesus promised them uh, to give them that truth into their minds. We don't have the apostles today. We don't have the miraculous today to confirm the word. I don't think we can do things like the Jerusalem conference where we can have Men come together, send a letter to other congregations and tell them this is what you do. We don't have that authority. The only authority is God's Word. They have that already. They just need to read it and study it. So what we can do, what we can do is have things like the workshop in the Word where men, preachers and leaders of the church can come together and we can study the Word of God. Look at it in exegetical. Look at it in the Greek. Expose the truth. Talk about it. Have questions about it. And dive into the Word as long as we are all desiring the truth. If you don't desire the truth, you're not going to really look for it. You're not going to uh, listen to other possibilities and then look at God's Word to see if those things are so. For Let me <clears throat> let go Give you this. This is from the workshop in the Word Brother Guy, page 17 in his workbook. Uh, He titles it Walk a Mile in His Shoes with a Question Mark. And he says that this proverb has its origin in the Cherokee tribe of uh, Native Americans who said, Don't judge a man until you have walked a mile in his shoes. We may apply the principle to those circumstances when we disagree with someone in matters of religion. It is always good to look at things from the opposer's perspective to see why they believe the way they do. Why, for example, do these Judaizers teach a religion of legalism? This is looking at at, at Acts 15. They could be free from the burdens of the law if only they could see the truth. But they seem to be unable to grasp what God was accomplishing in Christ. Some of the reasons why they want to impose legalistic requirements upon the Gentiles might include the following. And the reason why I put these here, I want us to understand that we need to listen to what people say to us concerning God's word. Even though they they may be wrong, listen so that you can understand where they're coming from and look for their perspective. That might help you to Expose to them the truth to open that door in their heart to, to accept the, the seed of God. So here, here's um, uh, uh, some of the reasons why they want to impose these Judaizers. want to impose legalistic requirements upon the Gentiles. Number one, they were raised in Judaism, thinking it uh, to be the only means of coming to God. That's a, that's a big one. They were raised this way. Number two. They were blindsided by this new religion. Although they accepted Christ, they had trouble seeing why the law of God gave them uh, uh, was so suddenly invalid. You know, they, we know that they're believers. It, it even said here in Acts 15, the those who believed. Those, that, 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 I think that implied that they were were baptized into Christ. The Pharisees, sect of the Sadducees, they wanted these guys to be circumcised and, and uh, maintain the law of Moses. They couldn't believe. They had a hard time understanding that God would suddenly end it. They grew up, this is number three, and this is why probably, they grew up thinking that they were exclusively the people of God and that if Gentiles wanted to be part of the people of God, they had to become a proselyte. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant of God. And number four, the law forbade their intermingling intermingling with the nations, so they naturally developed this prejudice against Gentiles. We see this with Peter. So they had this prejudice against the Gentiles, which would be difficult to overcome. So how could they consider them as equals? Peter suffered with this. Uh, Acts chapter 10 makes that pretty obvious. Paul deals with a situation he had with uh, Peter or Simon Cephas in Galatians. And finally, number five, this is the main reason, they never understood the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was designed to show how sinful man really was. Galatians 3.19 It was a shadow or a copy of what God was really building. Hebrews 8.5 It was to lead people to understand their need for the grace offered in Christ. Galatians 3.29 And, of course, it was designed to regulate behavior. 1 Timothy 1.7-11 We should remember, however... And in having some idea as to why an opponent believes what he believes does not excuse his opposition to truth. It does not excuse opposition to truth. But, knowing why he believes as he does may help us understand him better and to formulate a means whereby we might reach him or her with the truth. And uh, I I think we we need to do that. I, I tried to study Uh, other uh, opinions, other religions, you might say, out there on the Word of God. I want to understand, why do they think this? Where do they get this from the Bible? I look for where they get it, and then I study that, and I try to say, okay, here's the misunderstanding. Or, even maybe, uh, maybe I have a misunderstanding. If I am wrong in my teachings, I want to know. I I want to be like Apollos. I want to be out there, if I'm teaching baptism in the wrong way, hey, I want a Priscilla and Aquila to come up and say, hey, here's the truth and I'm going to change if you can show me in God's word, with his authority the truth don't just you say you're wrong and show me why, and say you're, and that's it but show me why and give me what I need, the truth it's easy to tell people that they're wrong it's hard to expose truth in today's world because there's so much twisting of the truth, that's the difficult part that's why we don't hear it so much, because people don't want to, to to work for it. They don't want to work for that. for that. So back here in Acts 15, uh, we already read verses 1 through uh, 12. Let's look at verse 13. I know you're probably driving, but I'll read it. I want to read it verse 13 all the way to verse 21. I think we have time. After they had stopped speaking, this is a, <clears throat> after Paul and, and Barnabas and Peter stopped speaking, After uh, after they had stopped speaking, James answered. Now James here, I think this is uh, he. He may be an elder, or uh, uh, he's not like the head elder as some think. He's just an elder. But he gets up and answers, saying, "Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God has uh, how God first concerned Himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for His name, with the words of the prophets. Uh, With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written." After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them, that they abstain from the things contaminated by idols, and from fornication, and from what is strangled, and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach to him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Very interesting. Let's let's examine some of these things that uh, James wants to write. To the Gentiles, let me uh, get over there. Uh, he says he starts off saying, "Abstain from things contaminated by idols." Actually, let's let's back up. Uh, okay, I think it's likely that these issues were probably raised in the debate. we we're, we're not we don't see that, but uh, the four guidelines for the Gentiles are designed to. Do this. This is what I, I think, and it's taught at the workshop. And I agree with this. Um, th- these uh, issues were, for guidelines, were designed to uh, assure fellowship with Christian Jews in mixed congregations, to move the Gentiles to righteous behavior, and to avoid outside Jewish conflict. With the churches, so number one, abstain from things contaminated by idols. It's, it's not a request to cease practicing idolatry. That this this, this they, they did already did this when they came to Christ. Or at least they should have, but it would include eating the meat sacrificed to idols and participating in their festivals, which uh, would occur. Uh, uh, the problems confronting the Corinthians we see that First Corinthians eight and ten. Number two, fornication. This refers to all manner of sexual immorality which was not considered wrong among pagans. At Corinth, it was part of the pagan temple practices and some converted Gentiles they, they continued that practice. We see that in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. Thinking it was a matter of Christian liberty. And I think James foresees the problem and wants this to be included in the letter. Number three, from what is strangled refers to animals whose throat was not cut and blood drained. If a Gentile uh, brought such a "...prepared meat to a Sunday potluck, it would be offensive to Jewish tastes who were accustomed to the Mosaic injunctions against it. James is not, however, implying the Mosaic law to Gentiles, only attempting to offer a means whereby unity may be upheld. 4. Blood may be connected with the strangled meat, or uh, considered as a separate issue. Uh, The partaking of blood, whether freely drunk, was used in making other delicacies, and would be another abhorrent practice to the Jews." So we can see how the things written here in Acts 15, the the goal here is to maintain unity. Let's not have a split among Jews and Gentiles. Uh, In fact, uh, there is a sermon seed Guy Orbison gave, and I want to read this one to you as well. I think you'll like it. This is a couple of points, and we have just a few minutes, so I'm going to give this, and and we're going to have to bring it to a close. But it's titled, How to Preserve Unity Through Truth, Acts 15, 1-35. The church in any generation, even the first century, must work hard to avoid division. Yet, we are not to maintain unity at any cost. Compromising truth for unity is unacceptable. What the apostles and elders did in Jerusalem may guide, or may guide us when facing similar circumstances. Here's the three points. Acts 15, 1-18. They came together in a desire for unity through truth. The debates indicate a great desire for truth. The decision to send a delegation to Jerusalem indicates the desire for unity. Number two, they offer a procedure to achieve unity through truth. fifteen verses nineteen to twenty nine. They determine not to require anything of the Gentiles that God did not require verse nineteen. They show the Gentiles how they could behave in order not to offend the Jews. Okay, they want to maintain unity. And then, number three, point number three, they go to great lengths to maintain unity through the truth. That's verses 30 to 35. They write that detailed letter showing how unity between Jews and Gentiles could be maintained, and they select qualified men through whom they would send the letter to the churches. And we can see what these measures taken achieved. When the letter was delivered to the Gentiles, verses 30 to 31, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas. Encouraged and strengthened, verse 32. They spent time there and were sent away in peace, verse 33. So we need to ask the question, do our actions today indicate our desire to preserve unity through truth? Are we trying to preserve unity through truth? That's a good question. And we need to always ask ourselves, are we doing this for our benefit? Are we doing this because this is what we want? Or is it the truth that God gave us in his word? And that's what I'm after. I am a truth seeker. Label me anything you want, but I am a truth seeker. I want to know God's word. And if I want to call myself anything, I'll call myself this, a follower of Christ. I am a Christian. That's all I'm interested in. I'm interested in his truth. I hope uh, this is encouraging to you. I hope it encouraged you to, to open up God's Word today, Acts 15, and read that and look at that from the perspective of unity. I think, I think it's there, and I think you might enjoy that in that study. Well, I appreciate the time you spent with me this afternoon. I, I hope, uh, again, it was encouraging, and I hope that you have a wonderful day, and I hope you read your Bibles every day, in the mornings, in the afternoon, and in the evenings, and you have a wonderful time. Thanks for being with me, and remember always to thank the Lord Jesus for all he has done for us, because he has given us this time that we may redeem it if we, if we take hold of those things he has given us. Sin and doubt to sweep away till on the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.